3: It is the Guy Benson Show. Guy is off today. It's Rich Zioli from WPHT in Philadelphia back with you. We are loaded up for a big show today. And thank you for being part of it. Great guests ahead. Breaking news all around us. White House press briefing wrapping up uh, a short time ago, more shots taken at Ron DeSantis. They still won't commit to whether or not schools will be open this fall. That's right. The education secretary, Cordona, spoke, and he's still not committing if schools will be, in fact, open. Which is amazing to me that they still, at this point in time, we know how to keep kids safe. They can't commit to it. It's really shocking. And DeSantis is firing back at Biden. And he said every covid variant on this planet is coming through Biden's open border. And it's true because right now we're talking about 5,000 people a day flooding the southern border. And where are they going? In the NBC News piece that was done last night, they talked about how they're bringing illegal immigrants into Miami, for example. Well, the people that are coming to Florida, that's DeSantis's state. And they're bringing COVID and obviously variants with them. And DeSantis is concerned about that, as is the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, because the numbers are going up in that state too. And, and also, too, they're going up in California as well. And people are not really talking about that because they don't want to make Gavin Newsom look bad. He's facing a recall. It's a dumb recall because, I mean, you know how California is. He's probably going to be, he's probably going to be fine. But there are a lot of Republicans in California, though. Whether or not Caitlyn Jenner is the best candidate or not remains to be seen. I know Guy's thoughts on that, but I'm just saying, which is not 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 a good candidate. But I'm saying that I think that if you look at the numbers in California, you realize that California's numbers are also surging. And that's also attributed to the fact that California has an open border. So you've got California, Texas and Florida wide open borders because Americans are are, are having to deal with right now increased. Well, let's think about it. I mean, right now, cases are surging, they're telling us. They have breakthrough cases with COVID. And also, you might need a vaccine passport if you want to go to a restaurant or a bar. But is anybody having to show a vaccine passport before they cross the southern border into America? Of course not. And we know that people are sick, unfortunately. And they, the White House told us as much today. Jen Psaki acknowledged that COVID positive people are, in fact, coming here. If they show symptoms, she actually said this today, if, if they show symptoms, they're given PPEs. But- what is? How does that help? I mean, I, I we were told for a year that you can spread COVID by being asymptomatic. You remember that. We were all told that. You don't have to have symptoms to spread COVID. So when, when, when Jen Psaki says today, if anybody at the border is showing symptoms, we give them PPEs. What about the people that are not showing symptoms yet, but they're still positive? They're going to go into a community. They're going to be put up in a hotel in that community. And now they're going to spread COVID and potentially a variant. What Governor DeSantis said regarding the fact that vaccines are coming from around the world, he's right. They're they're not coming from the United States of America. Let's take Delta, for example. Delta is a variant that did not start here. It's believed to have been started in India, spread to the United Kingdom. Now it's here in the United States of America. They were talking about the Lambda variant, which started in Peru, which is now going through South Africa. Why do you think the Lambda variant got here? Probably got here through the southern border. Peru. i mean you make your journey through latin america into the united states of america and you bring with you the lambda variant which showed up in a texas hospital recently in houston the epsilon variant which is another variant of concern by the cdc which they also think now is here and might be vaccine resistant how, how do you how do you think it got here I want to play a little bit of uh, of what Governor Ron DeSantis said. We have a lot of great audio for you. And I love the fact that the Florida governor is firing back at the White House. I really do. I think it's great. I wish more Republicans would do it. Because the Biden administration, and they are right now breaking... The law with this eviction moratorium. I mean, they're literally spitting in the face of the United States Supreme Court. But we'll get to that a little bit later in the show with Andy McCarthy, who's going to be here. Great guest. In fact, before I get to the audio, let me just kind of give you a little bit of where we're going to go this hour. So Andrew McCarthy will be here, of course, Fox News contributor. We're going to talk about the latest on Governor Cuomo and also whether or not the Biden administration is in fact violating the United States Supreme Court's order on the eviction moratorium. And on that note, at 410, we're going to talk to a realtor, a landlord, and founding member of the National Housing Provider Coalition named Stacey Johnson Cosby. Now, she's an advocate for landlord rights, and she's been saying right now that what's happening is you're really screwing over landlords in this country who are not rich people and they're just barely getting by. A little bit later in the show, we'll talk to Griff Jenkins, of course, Fox News correspondent. You know Griff very, very well. And Griff is going to tell us about the latest that's going on at the border. It is a crisis. It is a public health emergency, no doubt about that. And something needs to be done. In the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to talk to a doctor, get the latest on, uh, on what's going on with COVID, and then also China as well with Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China. We'll talk about that and find out what's really going on with China as they're talking about locking down the country again what is happening over there? But first, let's begin with the Florida governor, who took a lot of shots last night. He was on with Laura Ingram. We'll start there. He said the media is spreading fake news about hospitals in Florida being full. Cut number three.
4: We have had a summer wave. We've had seen significant increases in COVID patients. But as the CEO of Tampa General said, that's 10 to 15 percent of their total census And it's important when the media is spreading this misinformation and actually lying, uh, it could deter someone from going in to get care for things like heart problems or stroke. And so all those CEOs said, we are treating everybody. We're open for business. You know, we're busier with COVID than we were six weeks ago. uh, But please come in and get care. And so I understand the media's got narratives they try to spin. I understand they have a partisan agenda. uh, But just be careful when you're spreading that misinformation that people somehow think that they shouldn't go in. Uh, You can go in and every one of those CEOs uh, invited people to come in and they're running and they're running well.
3: Now, it's important to know that the White House called him out and basically said that everything that's happening right now is DeSantis' fault. The president of the United States just yesterday or the day before talked about Florida and Texas, two states accounting for a third of all new COVID-19 cases. Now, my argument is that's happening because of the border crisis that's going on. Of course, for Joe Biden, the president of the United States it's just more about the fact that he just doesn't like Ron DeSantis. This is what the president said. Cut number seven.
5: The escalation of cases is particularly concentrated in states with low vaccination rates. Just two states, Florida and Texas, account for one third of all new COVID-19 cases in the entire country. Just two states. Look, we need leadership from everyone. If some governors aren't willing to do the right thing to beat this pandemic, then they should allow businesses and universities who want to do the right thing to be able to do it.
3: But you've got to have a really smart line, like a strong closer line. So that's where Biden came up with his famous line, which is not really that creative. You've heard it before. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. You've heard that before, right? Cut eight.
5: If some governors aren't willing to do the right thing to beat this pandemic, Then they should allow businesses, universities who want to do the right thing to be able to do it. I say to these governors, please help. But if you aren't going to help, at least get out of the way. People are trying to do the right thing. Get out of the way. Well, Governor DeSantis actually
3: said, I'm not going to get out of the way. In fact... I'm going to stand in your way, pal. If you're going to shut things down again, I'm going to be there standing in your way. Now, this is really smart politics for for DeSantis, as I'll explain. Cut one.
4: We can either have a free society or we can have a biomedical security state. And I can tell you, Florida, we're a free state. People are going to be free to choose to make their own decisions about themselves, about their families, about their kids' education. Joe Biden suggests that if you don't, do lockdown policies then you should quote get out of the way but let me tell you this if you're coming after the rights of parents in florida i'm standing in your way
3: yeah he is going to stand in the way and that's really smart for a guy who wants to run for president in 2024 to be the guy that stands in the way of biden and those policies now the biden administration is saying that all these cases are surging in florida and texas they're leaving out california of course because they don't want to make gavin Newsom look bad but it's happening there too And we know that there is this surge on the southern border. So much so that NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt even had to cover it last night. 5,000 people a day streaming it over the southern border. The highest it's been in 20 years, they said. 20 years. Now the question, of course, becomes what's going to happen to address this public health crisis that's at the southern border? What, What can we do about it? If you're Greg Abbott, if you're the governor of Texas... And you've heard all these people saying about your state, well, you've got rising numbers, you've got rising cases, you need to shut things down. Governor Greg Abbott has said no. In fact, he's talked about bringing out the National Guard to do something. And this is really important because if something is not done in Texas and Florida and California, too, you're going to see cases spike. And what's really scary is, and this is what DeSantis was saying, every COVID variant in the world is going to come in through the southern border. It's going to happen. It's wide open. It's inevitable that it's going to happen. So this is what Governor Greg Abbott said. He was talking to CBS uh, DFW cut number 10.
4: The surest way to end the pandemic is for everyone who wants one to make sure they get the vaccine. That said, going forward in Texas, there will not be any government imposed shutdowns or mass mandates. Everyone already knows what to do everyone can voluntarily implement the mandates that are safest for them, for their families, and for their businesses.
3: And why should there be shutdowns and mandates when the border's not shut down? I mean, if the border's not shut down, why should there be shutdowns and mandates? Think about that. It's wide open. People are coming in. So what is is shutting down a state going to do? All it's going to do is hurt people that are probably vaccinated and following the law and and law-abiding citizens. As usual, they're going to be the ones who suffer. You're not going to actually keep people out. DeSantis pointed this out too. You know, he he said this. He said this to the White House. Cut number two.
4: If you're trying to restrict people, impose mandates, if you're trying to ruin their jobs and their livelihoods and their small business, if you are trying to lock people down, I am standing in your way and I'm standing for the people of Florida. So why don't you do your job? Why don't you get this border secure? And until you do that, I don't want to hear a blip about COVID from you.
3: Yeah, good point, because until the border is secure, we're going to have a public health crisis on our hands. That's that's what's going to happen. You know it and I know it. And and we're seeing it play out in real time. And something has to be done here. Now, I just uh, noticed on Fox News Channel right now that they are they're doing a press conference in Texas. The Texas official is saying right now in real time, Richard Cortez, a county judge, saying we've reached capacity at the border. We've reached capacity at the border. And we've got some of the most densely populated areas like the city of McAllen. And we've got thousands of people coming in a day. And they, they are testing positive for COVID. And we don't have a situation right now where we can even house people right now. The facilities are 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 completely burgeoning. hotels are filled up well. And this is a major crisis right now that's happening in Texas in real time. And the White House is going to turn around and blame Governor Abbott for rising case numbers. Also today at the White House, the Education Secretary Cardona spoke. And when we get back here on The Guy Benson Show, I'm going to tell you what he said. If you're somebody like me, who is, in fact, a parent, and you want to make sure your kids are back in school, you're not going to like what the education secretary had to say, unfortunately. But don't worry. He doesn't have as much power as you think. That's the good news. It is The Guy Benson Show with me, Rich Zioli, in for Guy, and we're coming right back.
2: You're listening to a new generation of talk. Generation of talk. Guy Benson.
3: It is the Guy Benson Show. Great to be with you this afternoon on Twitter, by the way, at Rich Zioli, if you want to tweet along with the show. So I've given you an overview of the border situation and the crisis that's happening down there. And it really is a public health emergency that's happening at the southern border right now. And when NBC News covers it, you you know it's real. I mean, right, obviously, right? Uh, It's funny, though, how they don't mention California. Isn't that something? Cases in California are surging, so much so that Gavin Gavin Newsom is looking at potentially new lockdowns in California. That's right. Why are we not hearing about this? Why are we not talking about this? Because it makes Gavin Newsom look bad. That's why. It makes California look bad. So they don't want to talk about it. But the truth is that the pandemic is surging in California right now. Los Angeles County considering requiring vaccine proof at gyms, restaurants, indoor sporting events. And the Delta is surging again in California. Always has been. Nothing's changed. Why is that? It's because of the fact that we have a wide open border in this country. Something has to be done about it. Now, I'm a parent. I've got a six-year-old, I've got a four-year-old, and i got a one-year-old. Well, actually, I got a six and a half year old. I got a four and a half year old and I got an 18 month old. It's kind of, you know, with the kids, they always want to be older than they are. My daughter's actually going to turn five in September, September 2nd. So I want them in school. They need to be in school. I hope that they're going to be. I don't know what parents are going to do if schools are not open. But here's my concern. I grew up in Jersey and I live in Jersey, even though I broadcast in Philadelphia. I live in Jersey. What worries me is that Democrat politicians They're really in bed with the teachers' unions, big time. And the teachers' unions don't want to be open. Randy Weingarten does not want to open schools. The head of the National Education Association has made this comment before. She does not want to open schools. So, today at the White House press briefing, the Education Secretary, Miguel Cordona, was asked whether or not schools will be open. Now, I think it's pretty obvious the answer should be yes at this point. Why wouldn't they be open? Teachers are vaccinated. They know how to keep kids safe. Kids are not dying from covid the numbers on children, as I know Guy Benson has gone over with you and Dr. Sapphire has and so many other people have, is that the kids, in young kids in particular, are not getting sick with COVID. They're not dying of COVID. We don't have a crisis going on. Schools were not super spreader events. If anything, teachers might bring in COVID in the classroom if they're not vaccinated. And if anything, kids may spread it if they're teenagers outside of school at parties and when they're... When they're Have you ever seen kids on the schoolyard? I mean, on the playground, they're all over each other. And you know they're all over each other, too, at their houses after school. So if anything, that's where things are going to spread, but not in school itself. So why would the education secretary not come out and say today, oh, yeah, of course, all good. Why would we have an issue? But does he? Cut six.
4: Don't be the reason why schools are interrupted. Our, our kids have suffered enough. Let's do what we know works. Let's do what we know works across the country. Uh, we shouldn't. Get politics doesn't have a role in this. Educators know what to do. Uh, We did it last year. So I have calls out to those states. But at the end of the day, I want to work with Texas. I want to work with Florida. I want to make sure those students have access to Mm in-person learning. Um, So at the end of the day, we're all in this together. And it's critically important that we have conversations with governors directly, with state chiefs directly. We want to be an ally and make sure that we're supporting our students. At the end of the day, we're talking about students being in classrooms. They've they've suffered enough. It's time for, for them to be in the classroom without disruption to their learning.
3: Well, then let them be in the classroom, then. Why are you not committing to letting them be in the classroom? They should be in the classroom, Mr. Secretary. But you see the little game that's being played here. The game that's being played here is we're only going to let kids be in the classroom, actually, if you do the following. And here's what we want you to do. So if you're in Florida and you're in Texas, we want you to mandate masks in schools. We want you to mandate vaccines. We want you to mandate vaccine passports, all these various different things. And if you don't do those things, well, we can't exactly agree that schools will be open. All right. The governors of those states are turning around and saying, well, can you can you close the border at least? Because if you can do that, you're going to help us slow the spread in our states. And then if we can slow the spread in our states, well, then we'll be able to have schools open. Right. Right. But does the Biden White House come out and say that they can actually close the border? Of course not. Is the Biden White House saying that they're going to close the border? No. Did Gen Saki today come out and say we're doing everything we possibly can? No, of course not. And so the governors, rightly so, are worried. And if any reason, if there's anything that's going to cause schools to close, it's going to be a variant coming in on the very porous southern border. A lot more to talk about here on The Guy Benson Show. Andrew C. McCarthy himself. We'll be up next. Don't go away.
2: from the Fox News Podcasts Network.
4: I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast.
2: Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: My colleagues in the assembly want to push for immediate impeachment if the governor does not step down, and I believe it will take take shape in the next few days. He broke the law. The top prosecutor in the state of New Yorks had claimed that he broke federal and state laws. We have, as a legislative body, an ethical and legal duty to remove him from his position of power. I can confidently say there are no Democrats at the local, state, or federal level who would, who are supporting or will stand with this governor.
3: That was Assemblyman Kim out of New York, Ron Kim, Democrat. Talking about Governor Cuomo. This is The Guy Benson Show. Rich Zioli in for Guy today. I want to welcome back to the program Andrew C. McCarthy is, of course, Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, and author of Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency, on Twitter, at Andrew C. McCarthy. Uh, Andy, thank you for joining me here today. How are things?
0: Rich, things are hopping. Uh, Great to talk to you.
3: Absolutely. Things are hopping. And the question, of course, for Andrew Cuomo is, can things get any worse for him right now?
0: Yeah, hard to hard to imagine that. Um, I, I really think the clock is ticking on him, Rich. I, I said all along that this plotting, meandering uh, theater of a New York State Assembly uh, impeachment investigation was really just uh, a sort of a lifeline to Cuomo and it really was because it's run up there by uh, when I say up there I'm in um, the Jersey area and this is up in Albany but it's it's run by Cuomo allies in the assembly but what uh, people who've been following this myself included have also always maintained is the one thing that could could alter the field and turbocharge and direct the investigation was whether Tish James, the AG in New York, dropped the bomb on Cuomo or not. And I don't see how she could have dropped it um, more decisively than she did the other day. So it seems to me that Democrats have suddenly decided that uh, Cuomo is expendable and they'd rather he were gone uh, sooner rather than later. You saw some of them kind of um, wring their hands a little bit, especially Carl heasty who's the Speaker of the Assembly, who will be the main Democrat uh, in charge of the impeachment. Uh, when the report from James first came out, he said it was very disturbing. But, but, but a few hours later, when President Biden came out and basically dusted Cuomo and, and said he needed to resign, I think everybody changed their tunes. And I don't see how he can hang on. If you were a young, think about it yourself. I mean, if you were a young staffer working for Cuomo, and you wanted to have a future in Democratic Party politics. Are you gonna hang with him or no. are you gonna go with the Democratic establishment and abandon him?
3: It's a great point you make, Andy. And just saw some breaking news that the Democratic fundraising platform Act Blue has said it will no longer process donations for Governor Andrew Cuomo, which deals a huge blow to his political yeah.
0: prospects. Yeah, I think that you know you know, the thing about this, Rich is we're used to almost every story we deal with, we look at it from a kind of a Washington prism, and the politics of it are always Republican versus Democrat, and the media always lines up on the obvious side, right? But when you're looking at a New York story, it's very different because the Republican Party as an entity isn't really much to speak of in New York, and the divide that makes a difference is the woke Democrats versus the the, right. the Democratic establishment, yeah. and the woke Democrats, the, the you know the hard progressives, have wanted Cuomo out all along because they have designs on getting that uh, governorship. Uh, and as we've seen again and again, most recently with uh, with with Biden, like five minutes after his administration said that the moratorium, the eviction moratorium, was completely illegal, he he ordered it anyway because they're so intimidated by the hard left of the party. The establishment Democrats are trying to hold off the hard left in New York, and they're scared to death of them. So I think once Biden pulled the rug out from under Cuomo, I don't see how he hangs on.
3: Andy, you you obviously a former federal prosecutor and a very famous one with that, of course, uh, your success in the Southern District of New York is is legendary, the blind, chic, and, and you know the law as, as well as anybody. Has Cuomo, in your opinion now, I mean, there's the political problem, there's also the potential legal issues. And do you right. see anything that came out of the Attorney General's report that you think would hurt him criminally, potentially, and then also, of course, civilly?
0: Well, you're very kind, Rich. A lot of people say I'm a legend in my own mind, so I appreciate <laughs> uh, the kind words. Um, I, you know, the obviously the most uh, disturbing criminal aspect of the report potentially is the groping, the, you know, the physical uh, groping of the, under the blouse of one of the um, the staffers. But I've never been. Uh, I, I'm not. If I were Cuomo, I wouldn't be too terribly worried about that because remember we've known about that for about I want to say probably. You know, four or five months now, and it's been investigated by the Albany Police. The woman to whom it uh, happened, uh, who alleges that it happened, didn't want to come forward. It was uh, th- that was reported by colleagues of hers to whom she confided it. So, you know, and it's barely, arguably, a, um, a criminal assault under a felony criminal assault. Under, uh, under New York law, it may, it's easily a misdemeanor. But I don't think, you know, I think if there was gonna be a criminal charge out of that, we'd have heard it already. Now, what I'd be concerned about if I were Cuomo is the retaliation stuff, because that's, you know, that can be pretty serious business under right. New York state law and also under federal law. I wouldn't be as concerned about that criminally, although I don't, you know, it, it's something to watch. But I think much more um, problematic for him. A lot of the, you know, the sexual harassment stuff is mostly icky, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't bowl you over as a criminal case. But using the power of the of the uh, governorship in New York and the, the executive uh, branch in the government to retaliate against people who come forward uh, and to uh, create. The kind of climate that he created, you know, that that easily can sort of evolve into obstruction of investigations and also um, harassment laws. So, uh, you know, that's where I would be looking at in terms of their exposure. That's what I'd be most concerned about.
3: And one of his accusers has said that she's going to sue the governor, and uh, and and the assembly in New York is saying that they're they're almost wrapping up their impeachment investigation of the governor. I, I guess the question is, you know, knowing New York politics, does does Cuomo strike a bargain here? Let me just finish my term and, and fade away uh, versus the embarrassment of being impeached and then removed from office?
0: Yeah, see, again, Rich, I think this is why it matters that it's a New York story. I think that would be a plausible outcome if you were dealing with like a Northam situation in Virginia where the politics are really Republican versus Democrat politics. But the thing is, the progressives wanted cuomo out already they were just trying to bring the establishing democrats around and you know the interesting thing is there have been two body blows that that happened here that i don't think cuomo survives one is the report about uh his handling of the nursing homes and the second one is the sexual harassment report. They were both done by Tish James, who's widely believed in New York political circles to have a on Cuomo's job. Right. So I don't think this is a situation where he's like exactly playing with the House money to try to cut that kind of a deal.
3: That's fascinating. Uh, let me ask you this, too, Andy, while I have you. Uh, President Biden said the other day he does not have the authority to extend the eviction moratorium. The Supreme Court said that the CDC cannot extend the eviction moratorium, though I think Justice Brett Kavanaugh made a huge mistake in saying we'll yeah. let the current extension expire. That was that was a dumb move. But it seems to me like the Biden administration is, is clearly now spitting in the face of the Supreme Court and that what they're doing is, is absolutely outside the confines of the Constitution right now.
0: I couldn't agree more, and I think they couldn't agree more. You know, If you listen to what they said on Monday, they said, you know, look, we've looked at this up, down, and sideways, and there's no lawful way to do it. And then, of course, Biden did it because they're so intimidated by the left. And I think the thing is that they, they think that the Supreme Court might be intimidated by the left. As you just pointed out, um, they should have pulled the plug on this thing at the end of June when the case was in front of them. And they didn't. And they basically said, you know, look, this only has five weeks to go. Well, Kavanaugh did. There were four justices uh, who were ready to pull the plug on it. And I think, you know, Biden, interestingly, uh, reinstated this thing and then said it was going to run for 60 days, which takes us to September. Right. Um, The Supreme Court doesn't start up again until October. And, you know, you'd have to it, it would take some effort to get the Supreme Court's attention here. What would it have to happen is, you know, the lower court judges are going to have to enjoin the, uh, the moratorium, and then the case will have to get pushed up to the Supreme Court rapidly, and then the court would have to decide to, to entertain it. Uh, and there's plenty of opportunity for the court to just sort of tap dance and drag their feet. If that, I guess I've mixed metaphors terribly there. Uh, But Uh, but the point is, they can. You could be a tap
3: dancer who drags their feet. I'm a terrible dancer. I I do that all the time.
0: Yeah, but you know what I'm saying is, you could you could easily see them letting the clock run out and then saying, "Gee whiz, it's moot."
3: Yeah, but they got to be angry, though, that the the Biden administration is doing the exact opposite of what they told them to do, which is to not let this happen. And I don't know. I mean, is there any sense of them wanting to say, hey, look, we got to teach you a a lesson here, pal?
0: Well, let's not forget that four of the judges, three of them are lefties and one of them is uh, Roberts, who never wants to get involved in anything. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, I think. Should, like, for example, should Kavanaugh be angry? Yeah, he should, because he got made a fool out of. But I think yeah. a lot of times we get angry because what what has happened here is just flat-out wrong, and we transfer the way that we feel onto what we wish the court would do. And it, it's rare that they reflect that, that same thing. You know, look, I, I think Kavanaugh should, as you just said before, Kavanaugh should have dealt with this in June. And he didn't want to because he's got a lot of the same uh, instincts for this kind of stuff as Chief Justice Roberts does. He doesn't, you know, he'd rather not see the court involved in it. They're worried about all this court packing talk. Um, So they're not looking for a confrontation. I guess, you know, if, if it gets squared up enough for them, they'll have to deal with it. But if there's a way to duck it, it wouldn't shock me to see them duck it.
3: Yeah, well said. And of course, your latest at National Review, New York State Assembly gives Cuomo impeachment defense deadline. Andy McCarthy, always a pleasure on Twitter at Andrew C. McCarthy, Fox News contributor. Thanks so much, my friend. Great talking to you.
0: Thank you, Rich. Good to talk to you.
3: And we will be right back here on The Guy Benson Show. Coming up, the question, of course, for you is whether or not Chris Cuomo should take a leave of absence from CNN. Wait till you hear the exchange between Chris Cuomo and D. Lemon straight ahead.
2: Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
3: So should Chris Cuomo have to rec... His brother on CNN? Should he even be allowed to be on CNN right now? Apparently, the word on the street is CNN told him, hey, listen, if you want to uh, take a temporary leave to advise your brother, we're cool with that. Huh? How is that even possible? This is the biggest political scandal in a really long time in America. And Chris Cuomo can't even talk about it because of his brother. Give me a break. He's the primetime guy on CNN. And he has to pretend like this isn't even happening. Now, this is pathetic because there's a lot of angles to the story. There's an impeachment angle. There's criminal investigations angle. There's the victim's angle on this. Sherryville is one of those victims. And this is what she said regarding Governor Cuomo and what he did to her. Take a listen.
6: I knew right after the first incident, the first kiss, him calling me beautiful, that there was something not right, I immediately did feel um, embarrassed. So after talking with my family later that evening is when I shared my, um, my feelings and they also shared their feelings and they felt very uncomfortable and also embarrassed. I have a different feeling about the way his response To us women um, and that he is trying to make excuses for his behavior. And I also feel like that is the right thing to do. The governor is not above the law, nor is he above above plain decency. So I, I think it's a disgrace of what he's doing.
3: Yeah, she's right. It is a disgrace. And it's also disgraceful that Chris Cuomo pretends like this isn't happening. But what is the most painful, cringeworthy, and awkward thing you're going to hear in a long time is the crossover handoff between Chris Cuomo and D. Lemon. Now, why these two need to tell each other all the time that they love each other, I have no idea. It's that kind of like bro, like, hey, bro, kind of a thing. And it's awkward, especially because D. Lemon is about to trash his brother. I guess he thinks, I don't know, maybe Chris is going to put earmuffs on or maybe they'll turn off all the television so Chris Cuomo can't see what Don Lemon's going to talk about. I don't know. But here's the very awkward exchange between these two. And I got to tell you, you know, every night they've been doing this every night. Let's start with cut 13.
7: I'm going to make my witness, as you say. And you know what?
5: I love you, brother. I love you,
7: D. Lemon. This is Don Lemon tonight. The calls are getting louder and louder. This is what I'm talking about. Top Democrats from New York to the White House calling on Governor Andrew Cuomo to resign. (laughs)
3: <laughs> i love you d lemon i love you too brother i'll see you and now i'm gonna trash your actual brother right now and talk about him resigning that's just i mean it's just like we really do they put chris cuomo into a, like a separate soundproof chamber so he can't hear what d lemon's talking about and if you think that was bad last night was even more awkward cut 14
7: Thank you for bringing us her story and for bringing her to uh, the CNN audience. We appreciate it. I love you, brother. I love you, but I got to
5: tell you, that was a little act of love for myself. <laughs> I did that for me. I love you, D Lemon. <laughs>
2: hey, look, you're, you know, gone. Do what you can. Do what you have to. I'll see you soon. Right. This
7: is Don Lemon tonight. Thanks for joining everyone. And we have got news, really big news on multiple big stories. The clock is ticking for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, a majority of New York State Assembly members, 80 Democrats and Republicans telling CNN that they would vote to impeach.
3: Is the clock ticking on CNN's credibility? No, I think the clock has spoken like America's spoken. and said CNN has no credibility anymore. That is just painful. And if you thought to yourself, okay, was Chris Cuomo talking about one of his brother's accusers? No, no, no. He did some feel-good story or something about America's Got Talent and I don't know. I don't even know. But all I know is I love you, d I love you too, brother. Love you. Love you, love you, love you. See ya. And your brother's going to be impeached and removed from office. I mean, it's so incredibly awkward. Who can watch that with a straight face is my question. Hey, Chris, do me a favor. Go lock yourself in a closet and make sure don't listen. Just earmuffs. All right, we got a lot more to come in the next hour of the Guy Benson show, including, of course, lots of new questions surrounding the border, what's going on at the border, and the eviction policy. You know it's unconstitutional, so why is the Biden administration doing it? How do landlords feel? We're going to find out with one landlord advocate. Wait till you hear the story. Straight ahead.
2: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show.
3: It is the Guy Benson Show, hour number two. Rich Zioli from WPHC in Philadelphia with you today. Great to be with you. So you heard about the eviction moratorium, right? And just days ago, the Biden administration said they couldn't do it. They couldn't extend it yet. Just like magic, they somehow managed to extend the eviction moratorium. How does that happen exactly? How does that occur? Now, there was an amazing story in the New York Times about this and uh, a very sad situation indeed. And we have a guest coming up and I'm really excited about this because you know what? Landlords are getting a really, really bad deal in all of this. A really bad deal. And it's a damn shame. First of all, I want to play for you a quick cup before I get to that New York Times story. This is uh, Jen Psaki about the eviction moratorium and helping landlords. Our own Peter Ducey, Fox News White House correspondent, asking her about this And landlords are, in fact, hurting because of this big time. Cut 23.
8: Why isn't more being done to help the landlords who are struggling to pay their bills because they're not being paid?
1: Well, actually, the landlords can benefit from exactly the same emergency rental assistance uh, that uh, renters can benefit from. But right now,
8: as we understand it, many states are not distributing that money. The Washington Post says that this measure could drive thousands of minor landlords to bankruptcy.
1: Well, that's exactly why. And I'm happy to have you as a partner in this effort. uh, We are trying to advocate for states, localities to get this money out. There's no reason it's not going out to landlords, to renters no reason that people who are eligible are not benefiting
3: you know what but it's more complicated than that this new york times story today a landlord says her tenants are terrorizing her she can't evict them there's a landlord in queens she's got tenants who are cursing at her spitting at her making all kinds of noise she can't sleep she's stressed out She's had to take a second job because they owe more than twenty three thousand dollars in rent and she's got to make her mortgage payments In order for her to get funds, though, and here's the catch, she has to let the tenants stay for another year and she can't raise their rent. So now she's got to make a choice. Do I let these tenants stay for another year so I can get the money knowing that it's another year of them terrorizing me or do I kick them out knowing that I'm not going to get any rental assistance from the government? It's a terrible catch 22 situation to be in. And she's not alone in this. This is happening to landlords all across the country. There's this idea out there somehow that landlords are a bunch of rich people, you know, like Trump, just big properties all over the world. That's not true. Most landlords are actually small business owners. And most landlords are just struggling to get by. And not only are the funds not being distributed, but the landlords are being forced to make these kind of Faustian bargains here. Do I choose the money? And I'm stuck now with these terrible tenants or – Stick with the terrible tenants, get rid of them, and then I lose the money. What do I do? It's not easy. And the Biden White House is not only breaking the law on this. I mean, they really are. They're breaking the law. And I think this is a good point, is that they are absolutely going outside the Constitution on this. But they're also putting landlords in this terrible, terribly bad situation. This is what um, Representative Kevin McCarthy said regarding what the Biden administration is doing. And I hope the Republicans will try to take some action on this. They need to. Cut twenty four.
4: Because some socialists in Congress protested, they bent the knee. But what's really telling here, regardless of where you stand on the issue, We believe in the rule of law. They know this is breaking the law, but they are doing it. They're breaking the constitution. That's breaking the foundation of the institution of
0: who we are. They know they'll fail in the courts, but it's very telling to you. It's just like what's happened all through COVID. Large corporations get bigger and small businesses, those family businesses got collapsed by government pressuring. And what's government doing today? Paying
4: more to the workers to stay home than coming back to work. You know, I started my first business when I was 20. The thing I learned in small business, you're the first to work, last to leave, last to be paid. This is government destroying small business.
3: Yeah, it really is. So many of these landlords, as you'll hear with our guest, are suffering right now because they're small, medium, independent landlords. And I want to welcome to the program here on The Guy Benson Show, Stacey Johnson-Cosby, realtor, landlord, and founding member of the National Housing Provider Coalition. Stacey, thanks so much for joining me here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, I think a lot of people have the wrong idea of who landlords are. They imagine that they're these just big, giant, you know, big landlords are all super rich. And, you know, they're just greedy and they can afford to take this hit. and, And how dare they think that they should evict people?
9: You're right. And they are absolutely wrong. We are regular, everyday people. We're just like our tenants. And like you said, we're small businesses. And so we have done, our product happens to be providing housing for those that need it, and yet we are villainized and made into being monsters. And and I do agree with um, Kevin McCarthy, and we, we need his support. The housing providers need him to stand with us. Um, I agree with him that they have um, actually taken socialism into the mainstream, and it's not right.
3: Yeah, you're so right about that. And uh, this story from the New York Times about this, this woman, this uh, landlord named Vani Mangle, who's a physician assistant, and she's being terrorized by her tenants. They owe her $23,000 in rent. And I don't think a lot of people realize that she's now facing this terrible choice, either kick them out and then get no federal assistance or get federal assistance. But she's got to agree to keep them for a year, a year of them tormenting her. That's a terrible catch 22 to be in right now.
9: And so the question is, why are we here? Why did government get in between two private citizens and our contracts? And so the scary thing for us is the fact that they're doing something that's unconstitutional and the fact that I heard the president and his spokesperson say that they know it's unconstitutional, and yet they did it. So their victims are us, fellow citizens, who provide housing. And so we should not even be in this case, I mean, in this situation, where they've done that. So the question is, who is going to stand with us against this taking of private property? Because they are taking our property and demanding that we allow fellow citizens to live rent-free. Who else gives away their product for free? I know people are hungry, or are they're they going into the grocery stores and restaurants and demanding that they feed people, and then they'll get paid when this is all over. I don't think so. They should not have chosen us, and they've picked on us, private owners, and we need someone to stand with us, someone in Congress to stand with us, to push back on it, because this is not sustainable, and it, of course, it is not constitutional.
3: You know, that is such a great point you make, and I, I, I think, too, Stacy that that analogy about free food, which may be coming next, but that's such a great analogy. We're talking about people don't have a right to just live somewhere for free. And we have landlords that have to make mortgage payments. I think people forget about that fact. And, uh, the, the landlords should not have to choose between being in a situation where they've got to deal with these terrible tenants or losing their own property because they're not going to have the money to be able to make their mortgage payments. It, th- this administration has vilified landlords and landlords provide housing for Americans. They, they, it, they keep through the upkeep. They make sure that there's places for people to sleep, safe, safe homes and safe apartments. Why are we acting like landlords are bad people?
9: Well, that's the question that there is a narrative um, and it's the socialist branch in our government. It's been said, but we need big voices to speak out against it. And if we don't, it's going to become normal and we need to stop that. And something else I wanted to make sure to mention, Rich, that people don't realize two things. Um, first of all, the tenants are not being helped. When you extend the eviction moratorium two more months because it puts them two more months in debt if they couldn't pay 800 or 900 dollars a month they're not going to be able to pay eight or ten or nine to ten thousand dollars to catch up when it's over they're going to end up homeless and something else it is actually what um, cdc eviction moratorium does is it criminalizes small businesses and home um, property, uh, property owners. Because if we are found in violation and just a small mistake, found in violation of the eviction moratorium, you could end up in jail for a year and fined at a minimum $100,000. It is outrageous and it's unacceptable. And yet it is happening before our very face. We need someone to help us and to stand with us. There's nothing good that comes out of the eviction moratorium. And it harms our affordable market too. Uh, because, like you said, I don't want to keep talking, but like you said, it, it impacts us, the creators of housing and affordable housing. You'd rather have a local landlord than someone outside the state as landlord. And the very thing that's going to happen is a lot of our um, peers are going to be forced to make a decision. They're either going to lose the property as a foreclosure or they're going to sell it to out-of-state investors who are out here, circling and they're paying premiums. And so if someone is given a chance to recover their money by selling the property, they're going to do it. We lose an affordable unit because that corporate investor is going to come in and they're going to renovate the property and they're going to increase the rent. I have no problem with it, but that is an unintended consequence for the people that they're trying to protect. They're going to hurt them more.
3: Stacey Johnson Cosby is my guest. Uh, She's on Twitter at Stacey Casey agent, and she's a housing advocate for homeowners, renters, landlords, and housing providers. Uh, I think these points that you're making are so spot on. And and you mentioned too, though, that it's not fair to the tenants because they're going to go deeper in debt. And that's true. But that also assumes though, that the tenants are actually going to pay the back rent. What mechanism is there to force them to do so?
9: Well, eviction court is what it is and so once they once the um, eviction moratorium is lifted some of them will be evicted and you can also sue them like in small claims court to collect but the, ch- the chances of doing that are very slim and we know that as a normal part of our business we have people that stop paying rent and eviction is the remedy government has taken that remedy away from us to correct and get them out and get someone in who is just as deserving of housing but who can pay. And so we can do a, a lot of things, and, and court is usually is our, is our best answer. But remember, eviction is the last resort. We don't want to evict. That's not desirable for anyone. We'd rather keep them there. But we need tenants to do the responsible thing. We need them to apply for the rental assistance that's out there. We know it, it's, the process is cumbersome. It needs to be streamlined. It's taking a long time, but they need to start that process, and then they need to communicate with us because we know that they're you know, going to get it taken care of and there's hope on the horizon. We will work with them. We're not the bad guys. We'd rather keep them housed than evict them. It's just easier. But we need them to step up and fulfill their responsibilities that they signed on that contract.
3: And it is a contract, as as you point out on Twitter, Stacy. This is a contract between two consenting adults, uh, a service in exchange for for money, which is what what this is. It, it, it's not it's not free here. It, it shouldn't be free. And for a lot of these landlords, they are getting stiff because people wind up to them just leaving and moving out and going away, and sometimes it's, it's just impossible to collect that back rent. And uh, and these landlords, I mean, they've got to eat too. They've got families. This is how they have to make a living.
9: Right. And we're small businesses. We create jobs and we help spur the economy in our communities. And we need, um, local, you know, policymakers to recognize that. And we need them to stand with us. If it's Kevin McCarthy, someone else that's in Congress that needs to drown out the voices of the socialists, because the socialists are the voices that are being heard and policy is being created around them. We need to push back. And, and you know what government should be doing instead of trying to get in between our contracts, they need to figure out how to most efficiently get that money into the hands of those that need it. They're not doing their job. They need to be, instead of extending the, the problem and kicking the can down the road, they should be all hands on deck. Every employee in that housing department needs to figure out what do we need to do to streamline this process, make it more efficient, and get the money out into the marketplace. That's where they need to spend their time instead of digging into our business and dipping into our contract. They need to do the work that they should be um, there to do. And the many. So well said.
3: So well said. I know you gotta run. Stacy Johnson Cosby, realtor, landlord, and founding member of the National Housing Provider Coalition. Thank you so much for joining me today, Stacy. Keep up the good work. Rich, thank you so much for giving us a voice. And we will be right back here on the Guy Benson show. Don't go away.
2: A fresh take on the biggest stories of the day. It's Guy Benson. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News.
3: So did you hear what Representative Corey Bush said today? Did you hear this? Did you catch this? Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli, with you. Coming up at 435, Griff Jenkins will be here. Excited to talk to Griff again. Uh, so Corey Bush is a member of Congress, and she's insane. She was talking to CBS News, and what she said to CBS News is that, you know what, she deserves her security, but you don't. That's right. She deserves her security, but you don't deserve yours. And when you hear this lunacy of Representative Cory Bush, you'll understand exactly what I mean. But this kind of goes completely in line with the Democrat hypocrisy here when it comes to defunding the police. They're talking about doing it usually from the confines of a very secure, well-protected government building, whether it's on the state level or the national level. And usually they have their own set of security guards, usually heavily armed, even though they don't want you to have guns or you to have law enforcement protecting you, meaning the police. So Representative Cory Bush went on CBS News and said that the police need to be defunded despite her, herself spending up to 70 thousand dollars while pushing to defund the police now you gotta understand she's getting very criticized today throughout the sphere but that's on our side of the aisle to democrats this is completely something they can reconcile with yeah yeah yeah. no they're better than you they're better than you they're smarter than you they they, they deserve to be protected they're doing important work you're not but they are see that's the difference they're doing important things they matter you don't not so much nope If something goes wrong in life, they better have somebody to protect them. But you, you should be out of luck. No police for you, only for them. Take a listen to what she said. I'm going to make sure I have security because I know I have had attempts on
9: my life and I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending two hundred thousand, if I spend ten, ten, ten more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police and put that money into
10: social safety. Now.
3: Yeah, I've got important work to do. You don't. So I need to be protected and I'll spend whatever it takes to do so probably with your tax dollars. But you no, sorry about that. Defund the police. This kind of idea really shows you how people in power think that they are better than you. And this is so much of the frustration that everyday Americans feel. How dare she think that she's entitled to something you're not? But she does. She's doing God's work. She's doing the work of the people. Whatever you're doing, it ain't worth having anyone respond if you get in trouble and got to call 911. Now, the good news is, though, the White House did say that President Biden rejects any idea to defund the police, but that's irrelevant. See, Biden is not really in charge anymore. You know that. I know that. This is a party now that is hell-bent on defunding the police. You heard Andy McCarthy say it earlier in the show. They are so beholden to the extreme left of the party that there's no doubt in my mind they'll listen to them. But this is what Jen Psaki said today. Cut 31.
1: I will say uh, that the president has been crystal clear that he opposes defunding the police. Uh, He has said that. Throughout his campaign for office, his record over the last several decades has made that clear. He has proposed increased funding for law enforcement and the COPS program, increased funding from his predecessor, who was, as you might note or be aware of, a Republican. So I'd note that his record is pretty clear on this. There may be some in the Democratic Party, including Congresswoman Bush, who disagree with him. That's okay, But I would say the majority uh, of Democrats, we've seen this in polling and the majority of members uh, also uh, agree that we should not defund the police.
3: I could squeeze in this little montage real quick of the squad members defunding the police. Cut thirty two.
1: Yes, I support the defund
10: movement. Not only do we need to defund, but we need to dismantle and start anew.
1: Why use the word defund? Why use the word defund? And it's like, this is the word that's coming from the streets. I am for defunding the police. A moment to reimagine policing, to take things off the shoulders. In
6: many cities in America, over one third of their city budget goes to police. So we have to have this conversation. What are we doing?
2: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
3: So we've heard a lot, a lot about the border today here on The Guy Benson Show with me, Rich Zioli, in for Guy. A lot on the border but who knows better than anybody? That, of course, is our very own Fox News correspondent, Griff Jenkins. Hey, Griff, thank you for joining me today.
8: Hey, Rich, it's great to be on with you, man. Yeah, there's, great to uh, be no back. Shortage of border news these days.
3: Yeah, I just saw they had a big press conference down there in Texas. What's going on?
8: Well, so you know, Rich, so as we've been covering here the border and if you go back just a little bit it was really in march that i first started re- reporting on the border this year because agents that i've worked with for years were saying hey this is getting out of control and i went to mcallen texas because that's the ground zero of biden's border crisis they're averaging through 2 to 3000 uh, illegal crossing migrants every single day it's the same spot where you saw on fox that crazy drone footage of what we've learned now was as many as 5000 migrants in one day under that bridge well What's happening there, and when they release migrants, they release in McAllen to a uh, Catholic charities that try and house them and then send them on their way to family members and and wherever they're going to go in the U.S., well, they ran out of space. And they are dealing with the situation now because, as we, I broke a couple of weeks ago, they are experiencing a 900% increase in COVID-positive migrants there in, in the RGV in McAllen. And so the city, the mayor, who I just talked to yesterday and they uh, communicating with on this story, uh, Javier Villalobos, said we got to do something as a, as a city because the Border Patrol is dropping off migrants, many of them uh, testing positive for COVID to this Catholic Charities which is out of the space of anywhere to put them and now they're going to end up just in the streets of McAllen and be a huge risk to the community at large uh, wandering around with COVID and that's why we had that incident. You may remember from last week where a customer at a Whataburger flagged down a local Texas cop and said, hey, I think these migrants are sick. Turned out they were. That's why you know when you see these stats like we've been talking about today which is uh, McAllen's City Council filing, giving us a report that they've had over 7,000 migrants test positive since February, 1,500 cases in just the last week. And so this press conference is all about uh, McAllen and Hidalgo County, which is where they are, trying to erect these temporary tents in a location in a city where they can quarantine these migrants, because otherwise it is a serious, serious risk to the community.
3: Griff Jenkins, you've done amazing reporting on this and, of course, on Twitter at Griff Jenkins. Uh, I think, you know, it's funny. You keep hearing about the White House saying, well, Florida and Texas have the highest rates of COVID right now. It's surging, it's surging, it's surging. Well, obviously, it's surging if you've got all these migrants coming into the country, uh, crossing the border illegally and having COVID with them. Of course, you're going to see the numbers spike.
8: Well, and it's interesting to me as well, it's worth pointing out, and, you know, we don't know the source of these high rates. And, of course, the administration likes to point out, uh, Rich, that the, uh, un, the the states with the most unvaccinated folks are suffering the worst. In fact, uh, today the White House COVID response director, Jeff Zients, pointing out that seven specific states, including Texas and Florida, are uh, account for at least half of the spiking Delta variant cases. But at the same time, you know, I was the White House reporter today. I've been there all week. I'll be there tomorrow. And I watched them push hard on this news that they may require visitors coming into our country on airplanes to go through customs to be vaccinated. But yet they're not demanding that every single migrant that crosses the border be immediately tested. Or be vaccinated, for that matter. In fact, they're talking this week about possibly offering the vaccine to the migrants that are in CBP custody. And so it's it's very um, uh, mixed messaging at best uh, that that they're really giving a uh, reason for these communities on the border, like McAllen, Texas, to to take confidence and solace in the way the administration is handling it.
3: Yeah, Griff, that's an excellent point. You got one port of entry where this is going to be required and another port of entry where it's not. So it makes no sense. Uh, Governor DeSantis said to the White House, he said, look, you know, uh, don't talk to me about COVID until you secure the border. And he also said, every variant in the world is going to come into our country from the border. Now, we know that the Lambda variant was found in a a hospital in Houston. Um, The White House acknowledging today that when they see people who are symptomatic, they give them PPEs. But of, of course, now, I, I think the question becomes, what about people that are asymptomatic but have COVID? Uh, and, and what about the people that, that are, are symptomatic but they've already spread it to people and they just haven't showed symptoms yet? Is there some sort of contact tracing that they're putting into effect so communities can know if, in fact, COVID-positive patients are – people are coming to their, to their communities?
8: No. And that's a fantastic question, and that's why you've got these local leaders like mayors and and, and county judges uh, that are so upset because there is no system put in place uh, that you can even really do. They can barely uh, process the the people they're getting at the border now, and and that's really – at the root of the failure of, of how they're handling uh, this situation. You know, I got to tell you, Rich, I started covering the border first in 2010, way back in the day, for Greta Van Susteren. I've been doing this for uh, a decade or more. And I've made at least 25, 30 trips down to the border. And you may remember from a few years ago, I went all the way down to San Pedro Sula, Honduras, did the whole caravan, mm-hmm. 7,000 miles. And the, 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 I, They've never not been sick. I mean, these are basically homeless uh, people traveling thousands of miles in difficult conditions to get here. Add to it the fact that this spiking Delta variant is coming in and add to it the fact that if you remember, when I was in Del Rio, when I was in the river, uh, challenging that summer, that one week I was there, we pointed out they had apprehended migrants from 70 different countries. And so you're talking about the the global challenge of the Delta variant. And listen, Fauci and and NIH Director Francis Collins, they're they're not mixing words about saying, hey, we are worried that yet another mutation, another variant uh, could be coming along that could be even more contagious. In fact, the health officials say today uh, that they're tracking this Delta plus variant. And so, you know, at some point, the, the politics on both sides, but the politics of the border uh, really need to be over, you know, they need to get past that, and at least with respect to the COVID. And, you know, the, 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 the absolute uh, uh, toll that this is taking on our Border Patrol agents, our men and women on that front line – processing them, transporting them, and then engaging them on the actual border when they come across, they're getting sick. I mean, it was just last week that uh, the Border Patrol chief in the Rio Grande Valley, Brian Hastings, uh, told us, hey, I got 44 agents currently positive, five of whom are in the hospital. And so, you know, this is really... Shocking to me that the administration still doesn't call it a crisis or that they're treating it like a crisis, even if they won't call it that, and be all hands on deck.
3: Griff Jenkins, you, you reported as well that uh, in the city of McAllen, Texas, they said over, what, 7,000 COVID-positive migrants have been released in their city. The mayor there declared this disaster declaration. I, I guess the question becomes, and this is where, you know, I'm I'm here in Philadelphia and I'm asking this question What do we do? What needs to be done here? Have have the local officials down there proposed and offered some solutions to to try to stop this?
8: Well, you know, if I had the answers, Rich, I would just volunteer to be the DHS secretary, which I don't and I'm not going to do.
3: That would be great. I'm just going to (laughs) throw it out there.
8: Thank you. Having covered it quite a lot, I've learned to listen to the actual officials. And that's what this administration has got to start doing. They've got to start listening to the Border Patrol chiefs and all these sectors. They tell you they need, and they've been saying this even before the COVID problem, that they need three things, infrastructure, manpower, and technology, right? There's no drone that's going to stop COVID. There's no uh, uh, piece of technology, even if you can detect COVID, that you could stop it. What you need are more people on that line, more agents, to, to secure the, the line, as they call it. And they need infrastructure, which is walls that the Border Patrol agents all say works, but yet they're not doing it. In fact, you've got – I was reporting this week, Rich, a tweet from uh, uh, Chief Hastings in the RGV. He was saying that the days of line watch – are far and few between. That is his very elegant way of admitting that the border patrol, because of the amount of, of his agents that are having to process and transport migrants, he has less than 50 percent actually on the border doing their fundamental job, which is protecting our border. And, and so you have got to start with addressing the fundamental failure of Doing that fundamental job of protecting the border, and then you got to start adding the resources that the agents say they desperately need, which is manpower. And they're going to have to, even if they don't, you know, want to publicly lose the political points that they scored on inauguration day by saying, "and we're yeah. going to stop building the wall right away." They're going to have to do targeted infrastructure construction in areas where the agents say, "you put something here, we can stop them from coming here," because it is at very uh, honestly observing uh, a very open border
3: let me just make this point and i'll let you go if you were the secretary of homeland security you'd be the first one who's also a surfer i don't think we've ever had that before griff
8: <laughs> we need one indeed are you kidding me <laughs> oh my goodness let me tell you you could be out
3: there surfing while you're looking at the border i mean think about it
8: listen you know, uh, I think that uh, as soon as uh, they, they swore me in, and the first weekend I went out and did a little surfing, the – paparazzi would be taking photos and I'd be done to be the end of my career but I'd really go surfing the working government any day let me ask you before you let me go now you're in Philly I am a diehard Washington football team fan formerly known as the Redskins we can't call it that anymore but you know tonight football starts tonight and I know you're an Eagles fan are you getting Deshaun Watson who is your starting quarterback this year
3: Oh, that's a great question. It's an ongoing controversy for us in Philadelphia because the truth of the matter is we need something for morale. I don't know if you've noticed, Griff, but morale's pretty low as a Philadelphia sports fan. So your guess <laughs> is as good as mine. I'm just hoping it'll be something that cheers us up.
8: We shall see, we shall see. All I know is I saw my Washington football team had uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, our hero quarterback, perhaps coming from a uh, uh, bygone day. But he has a fantastic, like, wild uh, beard. It looks like some, some uh, you know, uh, bear uh, mountain guy. So maybe that's going to be our answer down here. We'll have to find out and uh, trade notes when the uh, Washington and Philadelphia team meet.
3: Well, I don't know when we're getting a quarterback. When are you guys getting a name?
8: (laughs) I I don't know that we're going to get one. It's it's, it's like the new thing. Just don't have a name.
3: (laughs) Griff Jenkins, thanks, my friend. Always great to talk to
2: you. Thanks, Rich. Be well.
3: And we'll be right back on The Guy Benson Show.
2: Energetic, informed, fast paced. Guy Benson Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details.
3: You know, I'm vaccinated and uh, my family's vaccinated. And and I'm not a guy who really tries to recommend things to other people. It's the libertarian in me. I, I really try to avoid that. Uh, I don't think it works. I I think people tend to get very reflexive when radio hosts or TV hosts start recommending things. But what I do know is this. I do know that I have friends who are not vaccinated for whatever reason. Some of them, they're just waiting to see. Some of them feel like they're young and healthy. Some of them have had COVID and they think they have the antibodies and they're good. The one thing I do know, though, is that I have no interest in ending my friendship with them over the issue. None whatsoever. But I'm clearly... Alone in this, maybe not alone, maybe you're with me, but polls show 20% of Americans have ended friendships over COVID spats. Like a disagreement, for example. I, Jennifer Aniston recently was saying that she's lost like five friends over uh, the fact that they're not vaccinated. There was a, a, a drummer for a band. He got kicked out of his band, Offspring, because he's not, he's not vaccinated. They kicked him out. Kicked the drummer out for not getting vaccinated. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a a spat like that in your own life with somebody who's not vaccinated. But I guess the question is, you might lose them over COVID. I mean, 29% of Americans say that they've lost someone to COVID death. So the question really is, is it worth losing them over the vaccine? You think you're teaching them a lesson by maybe ending the friendship? Like, if you don't uh, get the vaccine, we're done. We're not going to be friends anymore. Is that a good idea, you think? You could make the argument, yes, it is. Like for example, I have a friend. Uh, she wanted to see her her granddaughter, but she's not vaccinated. So mom and dad said, "Well, if you want to see her, you got to get the you got to get the shot. Otherwise, not going to happen." Now that's understandable. Obviously, you want to do the things to protect yourself and your family. So if that's how you feel, it's how you feel. But I guess it's more of a question of if you're vaccinated and you have an unvaccinated friend why am the friendship with them? What is it about? Are you worried that they're going to give you COVID? Because you are protected from COVID. You've got the vaccine. If you're vaccinated, you might get it. It might be a breakthrough case. Obviously, we know that well on this show, but you're going to survive. Luckily, you're going to survive. The question is, will the friendship survive? Is it worth that? Are you giving your friends some tough love? Like, hey, Get the shot or we're done because I'm trying to be a good friend. And by being a good friend for you, I'm uh, going to give you some tough love here. Looking at it like maybe somebody who's, I don't know, maybe somebody who's got a drug problem or something like that. But the idea, though, of, of, of losing a friend, 20% responded yes, 68% responded no, and another 11% responded don't know. I guess they're thinking maybe there's another reason why people are not calling them back. Now, Democrats were significantly more likely than Republicans to have lost a friend due to disagreement about COVID. Shocking, with 24 percent responding yes versus 15 percent of Republican voters who were said the same thing. Independents were closer to the overall number at 18 percent. It doesn't shock me, by the way, that Democrats would do this because it's a lot about virtue signaling and being woke and showing people like, hey, look at me. And they probably brag about it, too. Like, I kicked that person to the curb because they wouldn't get the shot. are and I virtue signaling of the highest order? I guess. But then again, what happens then? You you ruin a friendship because they're not going to get vaccinated. Now you don't have any chance of maybe convincing them to get the shot. You've lost that opportunity and you've lost the friendship too. Is it worth it? Or is it better to maybe, I don't know, bring them into your life and protect them with your herd immunity. All I know is this. This uh virus is gonna be around for a long time. It's gonna be an endemic. And we're going to talk about it in the next hour. Not going anywhere. So we're going to need probably more vaccines. We're going to need the new formula every year, kind of like the flu vaccine, maybe booster shots along the way they're talking about. So are you going to break up with these people every year or are you going to get back together with them and then break up again if it's COVID season, you get rid of them? How's that going to work exactly? (laughs) I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. But we'll talk next with Dr. Janet neshwat fox news emergency medical contributor and emergency room doctor herself the latest on covid so much more to come with the guy benson show straight ahead
2: It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson.
3: Guy Benson's off today. It's me, Rich Zioli, with you from WPHG in Philadelphia. Thank you for being here today. We need to get the latest news on COVID and the variants and how things are doing, so it's a pleasure to welcome to the show. First time I've had the chance to talk to her, Dr. Janet Neshwat, Family and Emergency Medicine and Fox News Medical Contributor. Hey, doctor. Hey, Rich. How are you? I'm doing well. I've been a fan of yours for a while, so it's nice to talk to you finally for the first time. I appreciate all your work. I know it's been a tough uh, 18 months for you, as it has for many doctors.
10: It has. It's it's been crazy, overwhelming. I thought we were doing great over the, over the early summer, May, June, where we only had about ten thousand cases a day, and now we're up to over a hundred thousand as of yesterday. So, it's a, t- definitely taking a toll on all of us.
3: Now, are 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 cases the um the best way to judge it, or should we be judging it by like say hospitalizations, for example?
10: I think it's important to look at both. Uh, cases, hospitalizations, and the death rate—we see that all three are are going up. Um, fortunately, we're still uh, under a thousand deaths a day, um, and I think that's because we've gotten the bulk of the most vulnerable vaccinated—those who are, you know, over the age of of sixty-five, those with pre-existing medical conditions. But the difference now is, Rich, is that. The Delta variant changes everything. It throws a bunch in the equation. It's, it's affecting the younger population. The um, majority of those who are hospitalized right now are under the age of 55, you know, and there are a shortage of uh, hospital beds and ICU beds in various parts of the country right now, especially in the, in the southeast, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Alabama. They are struggling for, for hospital staff, for doctors, for nurses, for respiratory techs, and for ICU beds. So um, it's important to look at all three. And and, fortunately, we know what we could do to to help combat this. And this is continue to uh, get vaccinated, wear your mask um, until you are able to be fully vaccinated. That's the one good thing that I'm seeing is that vaccination rates have gone up. They have gone high. Um, Yesterday, about about over half a million vaccinations. So we do see a spike in that. And I think people are, are realizing this Delta variant is serious and it can affect anybody at any age.
3: Yeah, Dr. Nashua, what concerns me is the next variant. You know, we hear about Delta Plus and Lambda, Epsilon. I mean, it seems like this is a jump ball. And I know that as much as we in the United States, were working hard to get everybody vaccinated. And I think the White House said this week we hit that 70 percent mark. But around the world, I mean, we're dealing with countries around the world that still have incredibly low inoculation rates. And it seems like in those countries, it's where these variants are coming from um, what what do we do about that? I mean, I, what does the world do to make sure that we don't have the vaccine resistant strain coming around?
10: That's that's a great question, Rich. V- variants will continue to emerge each time we allow it the opportunity to spread. When it spreads from person to person, that's when it replicates. And, and that's when it has the opportunity to mutate into a newer variant. And sometimes the newer variants may weaken the effectiveness, effectiveness of the vaccine. And, and that's why we always, for the past six months, health care providers are always telling their patients, Hurry up and get vaccinated. We don't want to give the virus an opportunity to spread because when it spreads, it mutates and we get uh, more variants. Um, but you're, you're right. Other countries, what happens globally affects the United States. That is critical. Um, the United States has uh, pledged over 80 million uh, vaccines to third world underdeveloped countries. Uh, but it is important that we address you know what happens in India, what happens in the UK, uh, what happens in, in other countries, because that's how it gets makes its way to the United States. So it's important that we have this uh, lack, this uh, if we can put an end to this disparity when it comes to the vaccines.
3: Yeah, and, and you know, and I was looking at the coronavirus vaccine tracker that the New York Times had, and it, it is kind of sad how in some countries the rates are so low. And then I also have another question too, which is what about like what's going on in China? I mean, I know China's locked down again. They have their vaccine. Um, Some people question the efficacy of it. And that makes, I think some vaccine hesitant people wonder and, Do you think our FDA will get around to formally actually approving these vaccines in a reasonable amount of time? Does it worry you that we're taking so long to do it? Do you think that um, it's fine to take this much time because it will reassure people? What's your opinion on that?
10: Yeah. The, um, so hopefully we the latest information we have is maybe the end of next month, uh, Pfizer will get full FDA approval. And I think that's really important. A lot of my patients, when I uh, talk to them and I ask them, why are you not vaccinated? I hear they, they say, oh, I think it was It was rushed, and I'm waiting a little bit longer. I'd like to see FDA approval. So I think it's going to make a huge difference if we can get that seal of approval by the FDA so that Americans and and those around the globe will feel more comfortable that it has gone through the rigorous rigorous testing that is needed um, to be FDA approved. But at the same time, it's important to understand that, you know, over 340 million Americans have already been vaccinated successfully. Um, as far as China and their vaccines, we we really have to be careful when it comes to uh, uh, dealing with China. We, we we sometimes worry that there's a lack of transparency and, and truth. Their vaccines have not been shown to be as effective as our mRNA vaccines. They're at about maybe forty to fifty percent effectiveness, which is better than nothing. But with our Moderna and Pfizer, um, they're in the high you know in the high eighties, high nineties. Um, could that? Could that change? Could the efficacy worsen with new variants? Yeah, that's a possibility. But that's why we need to really continue to ramp up, ramp up the vaccination ep- efforts as best as, as our, our uh, as we are physically capable of doing. And that means making sure pharmacies have it, doctors' office has it. Uh, make sure that anybody that has any information, uh, any questions, and needs information have easy accessibility to that, so that they can um, protect themselves and protect their families.
3: Now, this may be a dumb question, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat, but that's okay. You're a very kind person, so I know you're not going to make me feel dumb. No. But when you say that a vaccine... What's that? Said No, not at all. There's no dumb questions. All right. I, only dumb answers. I, that's what I was always told in my life growing up. Uh, when when you tell me that the a vaccine might be like 40% effective or 50% effective... When we think about antibiotic-resistant strains of things, I mean, we're always told, you know, finish all your antibiotics because, you know, the bacteria learn from this and then they'll they'll get stronger. Is it work the same way with viruses where if they're exposed to a vaccine that's not very effective that they'll learn from that and they'll get stronger?
10: That That is a possibility, but we have the ability to stop that from happening if we can get everyone vaccinated simultaneously and immediately. That's a very, very difficult challenge. But the, the more we can get vaccinated, the more we can prevent those sorts of things happening, because in theory, it is a possibility. Uh, but right now, fortunately, having either Moderna or Pfizer uh, vaccine uh, could will keep you out uh, of the hospital for most people and uh, keep you off a ventilator and um, prevent you from losing your
3: life. What does the data tell us about the Delta variant? When when, when you think about it, you look at the data. Do you think that we're getting to a peak point? I know that they've talked about that with the UK and um, things have gotten better. Are we there yet, you think?
10: Oh gosh, I, I hope so. Um, we just hit over a hundred thousand cases yesterday. The, the issue with the Delta variant is it's just so much more contagious. If you pick it up, um, you carry a thousand times the viral load as other strains. What that means is instead of transferring it, uh, transmitting it to. Uh, two or three other people, you can infect up to eight or nine other people. So you can see how it spreads like wildfire. Mm. Um, And and that's the issue, that's the concern. But it'll come back down to the bottom line is, please get vaccinated. And if for any reason you can't, at least wear your mask, either an n 95 Or surgical masks, the N95s give you more protection. I, um, you know, used to just only wear my my surgical mask. I I pulled out my uh, N95 again because even though I'm vaccinated, um, you could still pick up the virus. But the fortunate thing is that you will likely not have any severe symptoms if you are vaccinated.
3: Well, let me ask you that point. If somebody is vaccinated, like for example, I, uh, my kids had a bad cold and I've been sneezy and sniffly and I'm a hypochondriac. So I automatically assume it's COVID, you know, uh, <laughs> it, but, I, but if I am vaccinated though, so how do I know, Like, how does somebody know if, if they think they might be getting sick, do you just recommend them first sneeze, get a test. Uh, do you have to look for a fever? How does a vaccinated person know what to look for?
10: Sure, that that's a great question, and that's the. Finally, I asked one. I'm just
3: so glad I did. (laughs) I knew there'd be one in this interview.
10: Yes, of course. (laughs) Well, first of all, I want to point out not everything is COVID. We've got. I'm seeing a lot of patients with rhinovirus or RSV. We see in children, and also we have allergies. But for the vaccinated people, they might just think, oh, I just have allergies or a sentence infection, and their symptoms could be so mild um, that they don't realize it could potentially be COVID. Um, That's why the CDC director uh, recently recommended, even if you are vaccinated, to please wear your mask indoors, because you could still pick it up, Um, you still could have symptoms, and you could still spread it. Um, but if you're having any symptoms, yeah, you could just pop in, go see your doctor, and get swabbed, get your nose uh, swabbed, and you could find out, you know, within the day if you're positive or not, and at least you'll know what to do to take precautions.
3: Yeah, very good advice. Good advice. I guess better uh, be on the side of, uh, of, of safety versus sorry, right? Yes. That's That's what we always that's think. Right. That's right. All right. Well, right. thank so you, we doctor. So we can
10: get through this. You're welcome. Have a good one, Rich. Stay safe.
3: All right, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat, thank you so much. On Twitter at Dr. Jeanette and Instagram.com slash Dr. Jeanette. Thanks, doctor. You stay safe as well. Appreciate it very, very much. Uh, no, excellent advice there. Absolutely. I am a hypochondriac. It's just the way it is. I just always, you know, up, up, but But also have bad allergies too. So whenever I sneeze, I always look around and tell everybody, no, I'm vaccinated. Don't worry about it. Although now with Delta, I guess that, that little warning doesn't even probably matter anymore. All right, coming up, here's the thing. We're going to talk about China. China is locking down again. Why? Why are they doing that? Can we trust them at all? We'll talk to uh, Gordon Chang on that a little bit later in the show. But speaking of vaccines, there's a lot of talk about vaccine passports. Wait till you hear what the mayor of Boston said when she compared vaccine passports to what now, what, what documents and what sort of historical context We'll talk about that straight ahead with me, Rich Zioli, on The Guy Benson Show. Don't go away.
2: The Guy Benson Show. More next. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak.
10: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your
3: podcasts. All right, what is going on in China? We're going to find out 535-ish with Gordon Chang, of course, author of The Coming Collapse of China. Uh, There's a lot I want to talk about with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, a lot that I I, I need to ask him. Um, China's under lockdown again throughout the entire country. Flights have been canceled. They're blaming this on the Delta variant, but I don't know. It just seems to me like... Maybe there's something more going on. Can we even know? Will we ever know? And, and here's the other thing too. We still have not gotten the truth on how this virus started in the first place, the origination of the virus. We know, I think reasonable people know now, it came from a lab in Wuhan. But will the Biden administration do anything about that? Will we ever get to the truth? Will we ever be able to get into those labs and check it out and see? That is a question that I have. The mayor of Boston has started a lot of controversy now with her comparison to what vaccine passports are. Now, look, I'm opposed to the idea of vaccine passports for a very simple reason. You, you, you don't want to create classes of citizens here. You don't want to have the vaxxed and the unvaxxed. If private businesses want to do it, you know, they can knock themselves out. But when the government starts getting into that game, you're inevitably going down the road of discrimination, And if you look at the numbers, the groups that are leading the most in not getting vaccinated, there's a lot of them are African-Americans. They have various reasons why they might feel that way. Um, Historical, maybe they're waiting to see the vaccines approved. The mayor of Boston, however, has another theory to add to that. Take a listen.
1: There's a long history in this country of people needing to show their papers during slavery, post-slavery, uh, as recent as, you know, what an immigrant population has to go through here. Uh, we heard Trump with the birth certificate nonsense. Here, we want to make sure that we are not doing anything that would further create a barrier.
3: Yeah, and so that's the mayor of Boston, Kim Janey. And what can I tell you? I mean, she probably is speaking for a lot of people in her constituency. So then the question is, are vaccine passports going to create classes of citizens where you inevitably then have some people that will not be able to enjoy things in life, like going to restaurants, going to bars, going to gyms. And does that make any sense? Anytime you have mandates, I think it make things, makes things worse. I really do. I got to go back to something that Ron DeSantis said, and I'll go back to, uh, this point about vaccines and mandates and, and, and you know, DeSantis was accused of being anti-vax. He's not anti-vax. He's been vaccinated. He's encouraged everybody in his state to get vax- vaccinated. He's, he's worked really hard to get seniors vaccinated, the most vulnerable population. But he was asked about whether or not vaccine mandates would work. He was talking to Fox News' Laura Ingram about this. Uh, cut four. take a listen.
4: Yeah, I think that'd be a big mistake. I think that would chill uh, commerce. I think that would hurt tourism. At the end of the day, in in Florida, for example, we have 91% of our seniors have gotten shots. Uh, I do believe, and those hospital CEOs said, that that has reduced mortality, particularly among our elderly. Uh, But ultimately, the vaccines protecting you Uh, I think it's pretty clear people are getting infected, even if they're vaccinated. So its effect on transmission hasn't been what we what we anticipated. Um, And so that's just the fact. And so I think that those types of requirements, I think, would do more harm than good.
3: I agree with them because I don't think people like to be told what to do. I don't I don't think people like any mandates. I don't think people like it when the government bullies them. Uh, I think it winds up just becoming a a, a a people reflexively just say no. And for a lot of people right now, they're looking around and they're waiting on the FDA. Like, What's going to happen? I'm not saying a vaccine card is necessarily equivalent to papers. But what I am saying is it does kind of expose Democrat hypocrisy here a little bit. At least the mayor of Boston is being consistent. She's saying that African-Americans have a distrust of having to walk around with papers. Democrats up until now, when it came to things like showing your ID to vote, have said the same thing. It's racist. How dare you ask people to show an identification? How dare you do that? But suddenly now, when it comes to showing a vaccine card, they're all in. Like if you ask that hypocrite Mayor Bill de Blasio, Mayor de Blasio, should people have to show ID to vote? He would say absolutely not. He'd lecture you on racism and the history of papers and carrying things and how hard it is for people to get copies of their birth certificate. on no, not Okay. Uh, Mayor de Blasio, should people carry a vaccine passport with them? Oh, absolutely they should. Yeah, but a lot of people feel like they don't want to carry that around for the very reasons you just said about why they won't carry ID around to vote. How do you, how do you split the needle on that one? Somehow Democrats manage to do that. I never really understand it, but they're able to just some sort of somehow make that work. I, I have to abandon logic for me to make it work because either you can get a document, some sort of identification, or you can't. And either it's okay to make you carry around something or it isn't. And 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 they always come back to the argument of, well, this will save your life. Hey, listen, voting saves lives too, actually. uh, You, you know, for example, Sometimes people vote for the wrong candidate, and that candidate sends people to war costs a lot of lives. I think we can all agree on that. So voting also can save your life. You might vote for a politician who wants to defund the police, for example. That may literally, literally cost you your life, especially if you live in New York or Philadelphia or any of the other cities around the country experiencing this major crime surge. So let's not act as if voting is some harmless minor thing Voting the wrong way cost a lot of people their lives. Just look at cities run by Democrats. What is going on, though, in China? We're going to find out. Is China being honest with the world? I doubt it. Have they ever been honest with the world? We're going to find out with Gordon Chang straight ahead. What is going on in China? We're going to find out. Also, I've got another question. Is it really okay to make a no-fly list for people that aren't vaccinated? Is that okay? Or maybe you don't want to fly anymore either way because, you know, they'll do things like duct tape you to your chair if you act out. kind of crazy right now in the skies if you haven't noticed. And we'll talk about a flight from Philly to Miami where a guy got a little bit uh, drunk, acted nuts. Actually, now airlines are asking airports to crack down on drinking because people are getting loaded before they get on the flight. And by the way, I don't blame them. I I would get loaded too before I got on a plane. I haven't been on a plane in a while. And we're going to go down to Myrtle Beach soon. I wanted to see my family, but my parents are down there. But we're going to drive. Even though from Jersey to Myrtle Beach, it's quite a bit of a trip. And with three young kids, I just don't want to deal with it right now. I really don't. I don't want to deal with the fact that my little girl is 18 months, she can't wear a mask yet, and I don't want to have any looks. And I just don't want to deal with it. So we're just going to drive. And I think a lot of people are probably opting to do that now. But then again, you look at flights, they're packing them in like sardines right now. It is crazy. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show with me, Rich Zioli, waiting on Gordon Chang to join us to talk about China. We have him. Wonderful. Great. I'm excited to talk to him. Let me welcome right to the show Gordon Chang, of course, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. Uh, Mr. Chang, good to have you back on the show, sir. How are you?
7: I'm fine, thank you. and Thank you so much, Rich.
3: Absolutely. I retweeted a tweet that you put out earlier today, which is regarding the um, CNN report that U.S. intelligence agencies have secured a treasure trove of previously hidden data on the viruses at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but they're struggling to analyze it all. And you said it's because they don't really want to analyze it because then they'd have to actually impose costs on the Chinese communist
7: regime. Yes, well, it looks like that. I mean, we don't know exactly what's in the treasure trove, as it's put But the point is, we know that the Biden administration has not been very curious about the origins of this disease. And I think it's because they don't want to face the consequences, because if they had to face the consequences, they'd have to do something about the murder. And that's really what it is, Rich. They would have to do something about the murder of six hundred and fourteen thousand Americans
3: you know i don't I don't trust China at all, and when i I see that they're locking down the country again and the, and you've got airlines' shut down flights, and they're saying it's because of the delta variant i'm a little skeptical though because they're just their track record of lying uh, and I think some people are worried that maybe it's worse there than we 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 think and maybe it's worse because there might be another variant, and still there's no pressure on them to be honest
7: right well. We know that it's been much worse than China has reported. This um, most recent outbreak, though, has been stunning um, because if they're telling the truth, and of course, that's a big if yes, what happened is one person on, from Jan, July 20, um, this disease has now spread halfway across China or half the provinces, and it's affected so many people and it's shut down the country. And, and that is a real indication that this is extremely serious. Whether it's Delta variant or Lambda variant or whatever variant, it really has taken China by the throat.
3: It's scary. It really is, considering that we know how bad this virus can be and we know that it came from a lab in Wuhan. So it's possible that maybe they were working on other things in that lab in Wuhan. Why, why do we always assume that it's just this virus that got out?
7: right we know that they're working on um, specific ethnic genetic attacks as they put it in other words pathogens that would leave the chinese immune but would sicken and kill everybody else and that means china's working on civilization killers in other words china would be the only civilization left standing And that means we've got to impose costs on China for spreading COVID-19, because so far they've gotten away with it. And if they think they can get away with COVID-19, they'll think they can get away with these civilization killers.
3: Gordon Chang, am I crazy to think that when COVID first escaped the lab in Wuhan, which we now think was September of 2019, Right around the time of the military world games, is it is it me that I think it's it's uh, way bigger than a coincidence that the American military and militaries from around the world were in China at the very same time this virus just happens to leave the laboratory?
7: You know, that's an interesting speculation, um, but we don't know really what this is. I think it was an accidental leak. Um, It was around the time of the military games in Wuhan. That was October. Um, Probably this was a little bit before then, but we're not exactly sure. But the one thing that we do know is that China did cook this thing up um, because the pathogen itself looks to be strange. There's combinations of amino acids that do not appear in nature, which is an indication that China was actually gene splicing and that one of these bugs got out of the Wuhan Institute.
3: But is it out of the realm of possibility that it could have been what Senator Tom Cotton thought in January of 2020, a bioweapon?
7: It could certainly have been a bioweapon because we know that China has been working on gain of function in that laboratory. They were creating new pathogens, and this was a military-run lab, as all the labs are in China. There is a Chinese virologist who escaped from Hong Kong in April of last year, uh, Li ming And she's been talking about the military nature of this research. One other thing, Rich, we know that in late September 2019, China sent its top biological weapons um, official, Major General Chen Wei, to head the BSL-4 unit at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That was their highest biosafety level lab. This was late 2019. This fits in with the timeline you just talked about. This is a military operation and almost certainly almost certainly this was a bioweapon.
3: You also tweeted out earlier today that the House Republican report upends China's COVID narrative It puts Biden on the spot and makes Fauci's Senate testimony look like perjury. Now, I, I agree with all those points, and I, I think it's laughable that Fauci, for years, who was defending uh, the good people in China that they were working with, is it, it, for so many months tried to pretend as if it was impossible that this could have been a mad made virus, when he probably knew all along what this
7: was. Yes. Well, that makes his testimony uh, in response to the questions from Senator Rand Paul do look like perjury. If it isn't perjury rich, then Fauci was not uh, aware of what his institute was funding, which makes him negligent in the administration of grants. Either way, he should no longer be the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. In other words, America's top infectious disease official. I think he knew that this was gain of function. I don't know what's in his mind, but whatever the answer is, it's not good. And he should no longer be uh, in Washington.
3: I keep thinking back to something you said earlier about one of the whistleblowers and people that were trying to, to let the world know about this. Have we learned our lesson here? I mean, let, let's assume that China's locking down now and it's just because of the Delta variant. This will be over soon. But, but let's say it's something worse. I mean, let's say it's a, a new variant that is vaccine resistant and it's really wreaking havoc over there. I mean, a, 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 has the world learned, has America learned, is there now a, a, a emergency switch we can pull that we can let everybody know? Have we put in any steps like that now?
7: No, we haven't, Rich, because we have not been able to have our officials say in public Um, that China was responsible for this. Our officials are not trying to hold China responsible, so we have not learned our lesson. The American people know what to do, but uh, the President of the United States obviously does not.
3: Gordon Chang, I want to ask you your opinion on this. Uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was on with um, Laura Ingram last night, and he was saying that he thinks that uh, the administration needs to hold the, the China accountable and stand up to China and join with our European allies at France and Germany to work alongside them. I, I just don't think that this administration has any interest in doing that, and I and I see, you know, whether it's like Marco Rubio correctly standing up and saying that corporations now are are, are are doing too much to protect China. It just seems like we're so afraid. Uh, is it? Are we afraid of them militarily? Are we afraid of just losing their money? Is it because we have just so many entities here that just make money off of China? What is it you think?
7: It's probably all of the above, and I agree with you. Because, you remember, President Biden actually spent two hours on the phone with Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, in February. And not once during that call did Biden raise the issue of the origins of COVID-19. There have been no moves by the administration to impose costs on China for deliberately spreading this disease. The Biden administration actually ordered the intelligence community to report back in 90 days, but that was only because of the uproar in the morning of May 26. When we learned that the Biden State Department actually spiked an investigation that Secretary Pompeo started into the origins of this disease. So Biden is only doing things when he's forced by the American people to do so. And that means he doesn't really want to protect us.
3: Scary stuff. Gordon Chang is with me. He's on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang and also GordonChang.com. dot com. He's author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. So many corporations will do whatever China wants. They'll censor information that we say as Americans, they'll they'll take products off the market, they'll apologize to China, they'll be afraid to say that Taiwan's a country, they'll be afraid to stand up against Chinese genocide, the Uyghurs, they'll even go over there and spend money over there in those very areas. Disney, the NBA, I mean, Coca-Cola, Delta, it goes on and on and on and on. And the danger, there's so many dangers to this, but... Also, the suppression of information for how long did Facebook, Twitter, social media companies take down anyone who posted that this virus could have come from a lab? And then doing so, we wasted precious time that we could have maybe been trying to figure out what was going on here.
7: Oh, absolutely. Um, President Trump um, got so much grief for what he was doing. If you remember January 31st of last year, President Trump imposed the travel restrictions and quarantines on arrivals from China, and he got savaged by a guy named Joe Biden, who, by the way, was running for president then, who called Trump xenophobic. We saw this, for instance, mirrored throughout the media. We saw attempts not to have a discussion of the origins of this disease. Yes, there was a real failure on the part of media and others to have honest conversations about this disease.
3: Do you worry, because I worry, do you worry that they were working on trying to make a vaccine-resistant disease, that they were working on, on, on trying to figure out a virus that could maybe learn to be able to, to fight back, so to speak?
7: I, I'm sure that that's what China is trying to do. we got to remember that China believes in biological warfare, We've seen a number of writings from Chinese military researchers and thinkers, and this is public stuff. This is not something that has to be unearthed by the CIA. And we see that this is the trend of their thinking. And um, clearly, you know, they're thinking of uh, virus uh, vaccine resistant bugs. I don't know if they'll be able to do that, but certainly they're thinking about all of these new types of biological weapons.
3: Yeah they're they're thinking they're learning and they're and they're working. Gordon Chang, thank you so much. It's really important you keep sounding these alarms, my friend. Thank you.
7: Well, thank you so much, Rich. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely.
3: Thank you very much, uh Gordon Chang. Appreciate that very very much. Uh Gordon G Chang on Twitter. All right, we got a lot more to discuss here on the Guy Benson show. Have you ever been duct-taped to an airline chair? If you haven't, well, maybe it's time you start. We'll talk about the craziness in the skies here on The Guy Benson Show straight ahead.
2: Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show.
3: Apparently... um most fun place to be right now is in the sky when you're flying. I'm going to play a little montage for you, and I want to ask producer Christine and Wyatt get their opinions if they've ever been duct-taped to a chair on a plane in the sky. This is a little montage on Ruly really frontier passenger Max Berry screaming about his net worth. Take a listen to this guy. Let's go.
6: You guys! suck! My parents are a and you know what? You <laughs> suck. Yeah Yeah, yeah You know what? My grandpa
1: <laughs> Shut the <laughs> up. Hey 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 No nope. Chill, chill, Come out
3: All I can say is, if the guy has so much money, why is he flying Frontier, Christine?
11: Uh, That's exactly what I was thinking, Rich. If he has all this money, maybe he should look into Delta, United. I mean, I'm such an airline snob. That's where I fly, but... I don't have $2 million, so maybe he should upgrade his, I mean, not yet, Rich, not yet.
3: (laughs) You're on your uh, way, Christine.
11: Oh, I sure am. Uh, But this is insane. I have to say, though, duct tape, that's all they could do? Like, they don't, there's no protocol for this? I'm sure they have training for this. Is that the training? Duct tape the passenger?
3: Well, duct tape has so many uses.
11: You sound like my husband. He duct tape <laughs> I mean, anything. if I had,
3: if it's the end of the world and I had to have one thing, it would be duct tape. I would need that with me. I can survive a zombie apocalypse with duct tape.
11: And WD-40. That's what he tells me.
3: And WD-40. Good point. Yeah. Those two things you are unstoppable.
11: <laughs> this is just crazy. I'm actually really glad because at first they had said that, um, the news was reporting all over the place that, uh, the company was not happy with their crew and what they did. And I think after they looked into this and they, they did an investigation, they're standing by their crew and this man is being charged rightfully so. Don't you think? Well, I guess
3: the question is what are options that they have? They could have thrown him off the plane. Like, I mean, literally thrown him out of the plane, uh, handed him a parachute and said, you know, be on your way. Probably can't do that. They could have done a little zip ties, but I don't think that would have kept the guy in his chair. Uh, they could have put him with the baggage, but I don't know if you can actually access the baggage in, in, in the flight. I don't, I don't know. So they probably didn't have another choice.
11: What about like uh they can't give him
3: a tranquilizer. Is that against the rules? I don't know. That's a great question. Can they give me a tranquilizer next time I'm on a flight?
11: Just a little, just a little, you know, just, you know, to get them, it wasn't a long flight just to, you know, get them a little, uh, calmer. I think alcohol played a huge part in this. So I think? believe that guy should, oh, and they reported that he apparently had two <laughs> drinks and that he was going for his third and he spilled it all over himself, which is a crime in itself. You wasted a drink, which, yeah, a, you know, producer Christine would never do.
3: No, that's a real wounded soldier right there. I, I I think what happens is these guys go in the airport and they just get bombed before they even get on the flight. Because nobody really gets drunk from the little airline bottles they give you anyway. You got to drink like six of them to get bombed. So I would imagine this guy was probably sitting there at the bar, tying a couple on. But can you blame him? Because don't you feel like you might need some alcohol to fly in this current environment?
11: I don't know. My husband feels that the airport drinks are way too expensive. And if anybody listens to this show, they know Bobby doesn't, you know, pay uh, premium price on anything. So I never get to get bombed before a flight, ever.
3: <laughs> and you can't even smuggle it on anymore because they stop you at TSA. No,
11: nope. nope, there's no smuggling of alcohol. Trust me, I would if I could. But no. I, I, I don't want to wind up on the news myself, as Guy always worries about.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Guy always worries about you being on the news and making making some bad news. Is that what it is?
11: Yes, making some bad choices. Guy worries <laughs> about that a lot. Producer Christine,
3: I don't think you could make a bad choice. I don't believe it. <laughs>
11: Well, I mean, listen, ask quiet Wyatt. Um, I don't believe they're bad choices, but the crew, our team normally does. um, You can ask Wyatt.
3: I would, but we're out of time. And I got to make a good choice and get out of this show before we go too late. So I'll say thank you, producer Christine. And thank you, Wyatt. And thank you, Josh. And my best to Guy Benson on his recovery. And thank you for letting me, Rich Zioli, hang out with you.
0: Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think.
2: Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadShow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.